Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello Rank Squad, it has been a month of extra podcasts on the main feed and today is no different. We're going to give you a taster of what it's like to be part of our Ultras community over on Patreon where we do two extra episodes every single week. A Monday post box looking back at the weekend behind us and answering all of the questions from our patrons in there covering the Premier League and the entirety of Europe as well as some far-flung things from beyond our immediate vision we love the post boxes our favorite thing to do uh, we do a monday morning and record it release it just sort of towards the beginning of monday afternoon every single week and it rolls through uh, as many things as we could possibly get through it's usually about an hour and a quarter an hour and a half long um, and really does cover some ground so we're putting it up here on the free feed to give you a taster of what life is like over there and try and encourage you to come and join us it's a, a special place a brilliant community uh, we also do a Thursday spotlight episode this week. We're going to be an extra episode on Thursday talking about the transfer window just gone. Uh, it will have just been past deadline day. So we're going to do an extra episode there that's also going to come out in this main feed. But if you are interested and you do enjoy this, we'd love you to come and join us. The link is in the description to the podcast or just hit patreon.com forward slash ranks FC. But for now, over to the post box. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to your Monday Postbox. This is Ranks FC. My name is Jack Collins, and I will be your host today on this bank holiday Monday in the UK. And joining me is the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Moving a little, a little more slowly than usual, as you do on bank holidays. Um, everything gets taken down a gear or two, doesn't it? I even forgot to post the questions until about 10pm last night. You've got more answers than ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I should always delay it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Nearly dead, but yeah, I'm okay. Transfer windows last too long. It should be like one one week window. One, one day. Week. One I was actually day thinking window. back. I can't imagine what it used to be like. I don't know when it started that they actually brought in transfer windows, but imagine when it was like just all year round. You could just make transfers whenever you want. Yeah. It's been chaos. Yeah. In chaos. It would have been I think chaos, they only yeah. closed it when it was like four or five games of the season left. I think like pretty much up to then it was like, go for it, lads. <laughs> it would have been interesting, wouldn't it? It would have been an interesting God. time. I imagine there was less transfers though, weren't I there? I presume there would have been a lot less like, transfers. It was just like yeah. a kind of different world in so many ways yeah. about, about how it works. But alas, alas, but here do we you remember, are. Do you remember that year we had where it, the window shut before the first game of the season? Yeah, yeah but I it, only shut, it only shut in the Premier League. So everyone yeah. else was like, oh, okay, cool. We'll just still be taking players off people. Yeah. I liked that. I just obviously it doesn't work if it's not uniform. Yeah. But I still I still don't agree with the idea that the transfer window can carry on beyond into the season. I don't I don't like it. Well, there you have it. It's um it is one of those. We'll have to we'll have to rule it out now that Sam has uh, declared his uh, his pure dislike for said system. Um mm. there's lots to discuss, boys. Uh, lots going on this weekend, but we'll start as ever in the Premier League. And I think the only place really we can start is uh is at Anfield where Liverpool roared back 
into life. Um, the best question he got on this, I really enjoyed, was from Sammy Rahman, who said, who scored the better set of nine goals, Liverpool or Celtic? Also, RIP everyone with Salah in their FPL. Now, DJ, love this. you're an FPL-man. Um, mm. did, you, did you make the same mistake that I made of captaining Mo Salah? Yeah, but it's not really a mistake. I mean, I have decided I'm captaining Mo Salah for the foreseeable future, unless he's like like he's done and then I'm leaving him as captain because the chances are that like this week they play against Newcastle and they win two nil and Salah scores both goals and he gets man of the match. So I'm not, I'm not being put off by this. What was his miss all about that watching that back later in the day, I was like, hang on what he's missed an absolute sitter. Yeah. Actually might get mellow another week for that because it was that bad. Salah not scoring and missing a sitter in a nine nil win at home. Mm is unbelievable, especially as he should have. He was even, you know, one of the, I think it was the own goal, wasn't it? It was like a deflected cross from Salah, might have been that one. One of them anyway. Led, that was led Trent, to, wasn't it? That that there was that one, game. certainly, that somehow Salah didn't get it. And then he was the pass before the assist and a couple. I was like, oh, this is nonsense. But everyone's got him anyway. I loved um, it. I've got to say, as someone who doesn't play standard fantasy football, watching the timeline tear its hair out over this was pure joy to me. I just thought it was amazing. It was so annoying. One of the best things I've seen in ages, uh, just all of these adults just screaming and squirming over his lack of goal involvements. I mean, the, the odds on this, like Liverpool to win 9-0 at home to Bournemouth and Salah to be involved in none of them. I don't know what the, the simulated odds are, but good Lord, this is this is just a truly unique day. Well, Harvey uh, Elliott is now better than him, so that's who we should all be in. That's true. He's well yeah. cheap as well, isn't he? Yeah. 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 I mean, he's that, you know, like he's becoming part of this Liverpool team. Like I genuinely did not see this coming. Like I was, even when you're told at the start of the season, yeah, they're going to find ways to get Harvey Elliott into the team. You're like, yeah, but are they? And obviously it helps. They've got like an injury crisis at the moment and stuff, but um, it's going to be hard to budge. Like, yeah. you know? Really good player. My own FPL slant on this uh, situation was that I was in a 1v1 in my draft league and I was against Erling Haaland, who scored 17 points, uh, which is usually curtains. But I have Trent, who <laughs> scored... 17 points. Yeah. That was yeah. Uh, that 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 matchup was very much first on match of the day, top billing. <laughs> I saw um I saw some excellent things. I can't remember exactly who put it on on Twitter, but someone did and they said the chance of Salah getting no attacking returns in a 9-0 win was like 1 in 2 million. Um which I thought was, was incredibly funny. Um, I'm not quite sure how they worked out the odds on that one, but it, it was no, very no. good. Look, Liverpool were excellent, right? They, they they were very very impressive. Now Bournemouth were, were dreadful, and that that does play into this. Um, but equally, you don't get nine nil wins without being you know, pretty sublime, frankly. Yep. And Fabinho, Sam, back in this side, the heartbeat. Oh yeah, I mean, I did tweet. I was, he's he's so important to this team, and I got a couple of people back saying, "Yeah, it's Bournemouth." Though. And I was like, "Look, that matter. They played like no disrespect, but they played they played Fulham on the opening day, and Fabinho wasn't quite at his best, and you could tell. And then they dropped him, and they got even worse. And now whatever whatever it is, maybe it was a physical issue, maybe it was he was just a, he was just at eighty percent mentally, whatever it was, he was back in gear for this one when they absolutely needed him to be. And when he's on top form, you basically just can't, you can't get out. You can't get through. He just blocks off, blocks off every channel, every avenue, just cranks up the pressure. And this is kind of what happens, you know, when, when you get penned in by Liverpool at Anfield and you cannot get out, you have no out ball, you have nothing. These score lines do rack up. Now, obviously there's more to it than just Fabinho. Firmino had a wonderful day. 
um, two goals in the first seven minutes is a recipe for disaster for the visiting team. And it does, yeah. it does, it does lay out the possibility of getting absolutely pumped. So lots of moving parts to it. But yeah, I think at the core of it all, Fabinho just, um, just doing his thing. It just makes an absolutely humongous difference to, to Liverpool. I've seen some tweets in the last two to three weeks. And even going back into last season, I've seen a few others as well, suggesting that Liverpool might sell Fabinho or drop him. It's bonkers to me. He's like the best in his, in his role in the world. It's interesting. Matthew Mitchell asks, Klopp keeps getting asked about Liverpool signing a midfielder, but I struggle to picture who. Who should Liverpool go for? They'd have a chance of signing before the window ends. P.S. Congrats on passing 1,000 patrons again. Woo. Yeah, thanks to those two people that have got us over from the 999 to the 1001 club. Um, thanks for that. We appreciate <laughs> yeah, it. Appreciate um, you. Yeah, appreciate um, it. Look, the thing is with Liverpool midfielders, yes, they are tempted to go and sign a midfielder, but this also goes kind of against their, their strategy to panic in the at this time. And the fact is that like at the weekend, they were able to field Harvey Elliott, Fabinho and Jordan Henderson from the start. They're able to bring on um, James Milner during the game. Um, obviously they've got Fabio Carvalho too, who we can argue that he's an attacker or midfielder. Um, but then imminently coming back, you've got Naby Keita, Curtis Jones, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Thiago. And like in the next, well, next month, you'll at least have two of those players available for selection again. And then probably the month or so after that, you'll have the other two back. So suddenly you've got another four players coming into the equation and you're like, oh, we didn't actually need Frankie de Jong, but here he is. Um, <laughs> so I'm, you know, if a great deal lands at their feet, then yeah, maybe, maybe Liverpool, like, I don't know, someone mentioned to me Sander Burge's name the other day and they were said, you know, Sander Burge makes a bit more sense than some of the people being linked with Liverpool at the moment because he was genuinely a long-term target of Liverpool's. Um, but they just never quite pressed the button and then he got injured for a long time. And now he's come back, he's actually in good form again and he's probably decent value. And he actually fits in with the ethos that Klopp was building all along anyway. So like that wouldn't completely surprise me. But, you know a lot of other things really would surprise me. And I kind of see where it's coming from there. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm surprised that Liverpool let Wolves go unchallenged on Mateusz Nunes. Um, Now, I, th- I understand that's a lot of money and it's not necessarily the way, but equally, I, I do think that there's that, that that was a deal that could could only have gone one way. And look, he started lovely as well in the, in the Premier League. I think he's going to be a, a sensational player for Wolves. Um, and I think he is the cat of the calibre to play for a Liverpool. So that, that's the one that surprised me a little bit that they weren't necessarily was that, was that George Mendes just con- yeah it's possible that the Mendes yeah. was doing you know doing what Mendes does but that you know that's that was the one that I looked at and thought oh okay but I've, I have seen some chat on on Twitter about about the fact that Paredes is is, is going to wander over to Juventus and I wonder if that was that was one that they might have a look at I tell you what I think Klopp would be driven mad by Paredes this- unless he's seriously up to his game and his in his consistency levels and his just general attitude towards playing well, I think Klopp would find him a nightmare. I, I, Paredes is, is capable of so much, and when he plays properly, he's amazing, but so often he just doesn't. He just doesn't do it. I think from a mentality perspective, genuinely, I don't think he's a Klopp player at all. I think Sander Berger would, would come in and, and, and be not first choice, um, 
would have to earn his spurs. He also would have a lot, a fair bit of coaching to, to, to get on with and a lot of improvement to do because I still believe that Sanderberger can be a great player, but he's, he's only about 50% of the way there still. Um, so that makes more sense. But then do Liverpool need to bring in a project central midfielder or do they need someone that could impact now because of the injury crisis? And yeah. if the answer is the latter, then by the time you've managed to get Sander Berger up to speed, everybody's back anyway and he's not in your first choice of midfield. So mm. it's a very delicate position. Like Dean said, if they get a great deal that lands in their lap, fine. Jurgen Klopp's been pretty consistent. If the right player comes up, yes. I personally don't think they're going to get anywhere with it because they'll just be like, well, I've got two players coming back for injury soon. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's a, it's, it's a tricky one, as you say, and it, it, one of those kind of short-term ones that feels uncomfortable trying trying to work out what the best thing to do is. But equally, another injury or an in a truncated season where we have a World Cup, you know, injuries can stack up, and, and you know we've seen that happen to Liverpool before. Um, in, in at centre back rather than centre midfield, sure, but we we've seen injuries impact sides massively. Chelsea centre mids, exactly. We we know what can happen here, and and ultimately, if that's going to be a problem throughout the season. And, and look, ultimately, in in those two in in those two players of, of Thiago and Naby Keita, there is there there are injury histories, right? Yeah. You know, there are yeah. there, there are recurring injuries that seem to you know to to kind of challenge both, and and so therefore, if you're missing those two on a regular basis, that there's a slight problem in, in trying to find the gaps. But it is a, a delicate balance to strike, as you say, Sam. Um, let's move on and let's go to City who came back from 2-0 down to win 4-2 against Crystal Palace. And Ben Golly says, somehow Man City have finally discovered a knack for turning it around in games after years of watching games, knowing if they started badly, they would continue like that the whole game. Is this Haaland's influence, Aston Villa last side notwithstanding, last season notwithstanding, or is Pep now seemingly more willing to make larger adjustments mid-game? I mean, there was lots of these. There was the West Ham game, right? They were, they were down in. There was the Villa game. There's now been the Newcastle game and Crystal Palace this weekend. City have started to find a way of clawing themselves back into things. I mean, this is largely why you sign Haaland though, right? And like the style of the comeback against Crystal Palace was emblematic of the fact like this is this is a new man city and they didn't score these types of goals. They, they might have still produced a comeback, but it wasn't like this. It was with carving open the same old chances and Raheem Sterling bundling one in at the far post and then they force a penalty or, I don't know, Gundogan finds himself late in the box and scores. It wasn't like this. It wasn't a header, a tap-in, and then your number nine using brute force and physicality and just, I don't know what it is really, just ingenuity to, to finish it off and get his hat-trick. Like... This is why they got him. It, and it's it's unbelievable to see it like in actually come to life. We were all expected this to happen, but until you see it with your own eyes, you can't really imagine what it's going to look like. And so when Crystal Palace are 2-0 up, there's definitely part of you that's like, wow, as long as that, you know, that goes on a bit. And even when it goes to 2-1, you're like, wow, this would be a big result. Like the Premier League really doesn't make much sense. And then it ends and, it, and it's 4-2 and you're like, Wow, like Premier League makes more sense now. Now it makes more sense, <laughs> and so does this signing make sense. And now I know why Pitt wanted a number nine so he can do this. And Man City didn't really play that way in the first half. They didn't play in ways that would have suited Holland. And second half, like these different types of goals were there, and you're like, well, that's it. Like I don't know how you can I don't know how you compete with this then because now they've got a completely different aspect to their play that I genuinely don't know how you stop. I don't know how you can stop him from doing this. 
Phil Foden playing left back, absolute vibes. But him even him playing from vibes. deep like that, like that is such an as that's something that another new aspect that they can use. Yeah, 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 I think so. I mean, it was very, very impressive, but it's also you know a mentality thing as well, right? That's a to, to come back and fight back, especially in both of the last two games, right? Palace and Newcastle are good sides. Um, I think it's, it's important to kind of put that out there that you, you know they come back from two goals down against both to get results. You know, obviously a draw at St James's Park is a perfectly fine result. And then to win at home against Palace after being 2-0 down. And Palace have been City's bogey team a little bit in in some ways. So I think it was I think it was very impressive. I was I was I thought that it was it was good game management from Pep. Um and Haller just looks like he's rolling from strength to strength. Did you um I felt a bit sorry for Haaland at the end. Did you see what happened? No. Carl Walker booted the ball into the top tier. And this little girl caught it, and Holland went and asked for his for the match ball, oh, and the no. ref just the ref just pointed up to the top and said, "Like it's up there, mate. I don't know. I don't know. Going to get yeah. that back. You had to um, match ball." And there's like pictures of this little girl um, standing there, absolutely delighted. I don't know. Holland's going to have to come up with something here to get a ball back. Like he's going to have to offer a meet up and give us something very impressive in in exchange for this. Like- there's going to be a lovely video <laughs> soon of of him meeting her, and he gives her gives her a hug. Gives her a signed shirt. There'll be I mean, something very Yeah, that's soon. a special moment. She, she's probably got another big moment coming up, that girl, I think. Yeah, where she yeah. gets to like, yeah, hang out with Erling Holland for a day. Surely they have more than one match ball. Like, yeah, but you want the thing. one, don't you, that you completed it with? And I think that was the ball he, he completed the hatch. Is it though, or did they do multi-ball around the sides? And Not really, no, they don't ball. really. They do, like... do multi-ball. Yeah, it was out of control in the West Ham Villa game. There were three yes. balls on the pitch at once. Yeah, but different and, games and have different... Emirates. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know, different... obviously, maybe, maybe City don't do that. But yeah, I don't know that if... I don't know, I mean, I'm, I don't have to check, but I know it would, like, strike, it would strike me as the kind of thing that Pep would like, though, getting the ball back in play quickly. It does make sense. Yeah, you're right. Um, I don't know why it's that specific ball that people always go for. I guess you could be the problem I guess you've got is if you take the match ball at the end, you know you played with that ball. If someone just threw you a ball at the end of the match out of a bag, you'd be like, yeah. I don't even know if we played with this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> funny it's one. a random this must ball. Be, this must be even harder for tennis players. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can get a hat trick match ball in tennis. No, but it's the it's the it's the ball that you used to win the final Wimbledon. Which one? There was about 150 100 yeah. balls over there. Mike. Yeah, I don't know how much we've discussed tennis this summer, but it's been way too much for uh, for a football podcast. Um, right, let's leave the Etihad and go to the Emirates. Um, Sean says, "Hi, Jack. Hopefully you enjoyed the game at the Emirates on Saturday. What am I talking about? Of course." <laughs> Thanks for the personalization on this one, Sean. Um, witnessing three world-class goals and a come-from-behind win for the home team. What game to go to? All jokes aside, Fulham were very impressive and Polinia is a stud. He is a stud. Um, this team looks like there'll be a problem for most teams this season. I'm more excited for Fulham now than I was when the season started. With the way that they've impressed against two of the big six, Liverpool and Arsenal, so far this season, do you indeed think Fulham can realistically survive the drop this year? I mean, we all know they won't finish 20th, but I'm struggling to figure out who fits in 18th and 19th spot. Seems to be another good prediction after seeing each team play their first four games. Uh, who do you think that, who do you guys think will be joining Bournemouth in the Championship next year? Leicester. <laughs> well, I think um, at the moment it, it probably is Leicester, is, But yeah. you know, this is why it's so hard, right? Because like Leicester are rock bottom with one point after four games. But like, 
Leicester really going to stay there? Probably not. Like you're going to you're going to back Leicester to get out of that. Whereas I wouldn't back necessarily Everton to get out of the bottom three at the moment. Like I see them third from bottom, think like they could quite easily stay in that position for the entire season and still be trying to escape on the last day. So right now, I'd say Bournemouth, Everton. Um, I would add Leicester to this list because, I, as we said on on you know you? Wednesday's pod. I think when Leicester need five players minimum. I don't know. It's I, much I too early for this conversation. It's, a, no, it's way yeah. too early. We're completely yeah. guessing. Like, She's like, going through a name Sean, a table. Sean, 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 out did names. Say, Sean did say we wouldn't hold this against us because it's before the end of the transfer window. I mean, um, what I'll say is that, yes, I have much more hope now that Fulham are actually going to stay in this division after watching the, the way that we've gone about our four performances so far, there is a lot to be taken from it. And we look far stronger than we have in the last two times that we came into the Premier League. And particularly Palinia gives and Pereira, they give us something that we just haven't had at this level um, for a long time. And with Mitro also in form, like I would worry if Mitro got injured for sure. Like that, that would we be need a mess. Depth. Um, so there, there, there does need to be a little more depth. But then you think of, at the moment, like Simana Solomon, he's injured. Harry Wilson's injured. So there's still more creativity to come to this side. The, the defenders haven't really um, had time to adjust to life there yet. So like Fulham are actually a stronger team than probably we've even seen so far. Um, yeah, I'd just say I've, I've got hope. Let's put it that way. Like I don't currently expect us to go down, but I know that we'll still end up like having to prove that and we'll be mm. down like there's a lot of look there's going to be a lot of fighting there's a lot of teams who've started relatively well who we thought were going to be in the mix down there right and and that that's what's happening and and the the premier league has been upside down in a lot of ways there's been some strange results there's been yeah. some some big you know big kind of Im- impressive performances from teams that we thought might struggle yeah. um and, and so be, you know like be... say say Ivan Tony ended up getting bought off Brentford before deadline day like say someone landed a 50 million offer for Tony and he was gone. Like suddenly Brentford would be in the conversation. And it, it, does, it only takes one big player to leave a team like that to suddenly be like, oh no, yeah. we're, we're in trouble. So we have to wait and really see like what happens in these last few days. I mean, look, from my perspective, guys, the neutral perspective, unless everybody signs a Branislav Ivanovic regen right back, Mitrovic at the back post can't be stopped. So should be your ticket to victory. Yeah, just keep good sticking one. him on the keep sticking him on the fullbacks. Yeah. Is how we're gonna is how we're gonna find some. I do joy. love him a lot. Um, I really do. Um, let's flip to Arsenal though, because Ben Luckner said uh, Arsenal ground out result. Party and Zinchenko missing was quite noticeable. Should Arsenal be looking to add another midfielder with, with Party's injury record at the club? Also, how good was the Norwegian magician? We'll, we'll come on to the midfielder, but I, I I've just got to say, watching Martin Erdegaard in the flesh was just something something quite sublime, to be perfectly honest with you. His movement, his vision, his execution, everything he does is sensational. And, you know, again, he was up against Polinia here, who I thought had a good game. And yet, watching Erdegaard just float around the pitch and make things happen, I completely, we can discount the goal because the goal is a lucky deflection. But everything else he did was just so smooth, so good. And, and he, the way that he can switch play and just look up and, and completely turn the way that Arsenal are playing, flip flip the sides, flip the way that, you know, if, if they're in, the, in their own half, be able to, to open things up on, on the kind of turn on a dime. He's just exceptional, like absolutely exceptional. Yeah, he's awesome, yeah. isn't he? Passing range is unreal. Technical ability, unreal. Tight spaces, everything. He's, he's just brilliant. And now he's I popping mean, up with goals. 
Yeah, he started to score a little bit more as well, hasn't he? I mean, he was a bit dry on the goals last year. Good on the assists, but dry on the goals. But uh, that's starting to shift as well. Lucky as this one was. But yeah, what a player. Unbelievable. Um, I've actually really come round to the idea that Arsenal need to bolster the the, the wing department here. Do you remember? I think uh, it wasn't that long ago that I was sort of not not that... I was, I was very sceptical of the idea of signing Rafinha. Um, I was thinking, you don't want to block off Bukayo Saka. You don't want to start moving him around, etc., etc. But I'm starting to get a little bit worried about just how many minutes Bukayo Saka is playing um, as a teenager and looking at this as a kind of Raphael Varane, Romelu Lukaku, Wayne Rooney case um, in terms of like long-term health of a player. And I do think that they need to bolster that area so they're less reliant on him. This isn't this isn't a comment on his early season performances. It's just it's just a case of like I think he's been the, good. He's just been it's just there's just been a lot of focus elsewhere because everyone else has been yeah. good. Yeah, and so but he's playing too, for for a, for a kid. He's basically playing too many minutes. I guess obviously the Rafinha argument still stands because I don't think that was the right um, the right player to come in. I think you want someone that isn't going to be like I'm better than Bukayo Saka. You want someone who is clearly a depth piece like Pedro Neto. Um, but obviously that one doesn't seem like it's going to happen. But yeah, I think Arsenal could and should buy a couple of players. But Dean, unless you're going to sit here and tell me I'm wrong, it doesn't feel like they're going to buy anybody for the, in, the, in the final days. I mean, they, I think they will sign somebody, actually. I, th- I don't know whether it'll be the wide forward. I don't know whether it'll be the midfielder. Um, they, they've still got budget and they're still looking at it. Um, the Partey position is the one that They've been making the biggest decision on um, you know, various concerns over the depth in that position. If they have a problem, um, Tielemans obviously has been the guy that they've been looking for filling that gap. If it happens, I mean, it's so late in the window now that I just don't know what value they'll get in that deal anymore. Tielemans had, had been available and I don't know why they haven't made this decision sooner. Um, the wide forward Neto's, Neto's value is certainly going up. I think it'll probably cost close to £60 million now to sign Neto. Um, are they going to go to those numbers? I don't know. I think you they need, had to and, wait. You know, if he costs that much money, then he's going to be like, well, I'm a key player, right? £60 well, that's million. That's it. But 60 like, well, Pepe wasn't. <laughs> 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 but I think they had to get rid of Pepe too before they could even look at exploring that properly and getting in somebody. So yeah. Um, it's a difficult one in terms of the, of balance in the ins and the outs. And I think sometimes we can forget that like, this isn't a, a, still a company like any other, and they've got a budget they have to stick to in terms of wages and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's just been part of why they've been waiting on this. But yeah, I, I, I got a feeling that well, will be one more player to come in for us. So I just don't know exactly where, who it will be. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. We will see and we, we will know by Thursday. So things are going to be, well, we're going to be keeping an eye on all things as, as ever. Um, Tate says, last one on, on Arsenal, with the form William Saliba is currently in, do you think you'll be able to start for the French national team at the World Cup? The obvious two I put ahead of him are Kimpembe and Varane, but I do attribute some of that pedigree to, to pedigree and not solely on current form. Could France benefit from a back 3-4-3 with Kimpembe at left centre-back, Saliba in the middle and Varane on the right? Plenty of options in that dressing room, but I'm just on a Saliba high ever since Arsenal fans started singing the tequila chant for him. Sorry we had to beat your beloved Fulham boys. It genuinely pains me to inform Dean and Jack that they are both, in fact, my sons. Rank, love you, rank squad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they do play a back three quite a lot now, France, don't they? Yeah. Uh, but it still doesn't necessarily include Saliba, although he is in the squad and he has got five or six caps so yeah. I think I think he's going to go to the World Cup. Um, he just won't. He won't be a. He won't be a starting eleven player. It will be Pavard, and it will be Varane, and it will probably be Luca Hernandez as the as the three right to left. 
Um, but Saliba should should be in there, in my opinion, as the as the right sided centre back second choice and be in that squad. Um, I think he's better than Upper Meccano. And with Canate now injured and a few others not doing so well, I think the path is starting to clear up for him. And Who else is there? Kunde and Kempe. Yeah, I mean Kunde is a, he's right. Should will be right in that mix for that right sided one. But I think I think Kunde would go as well as like the backup right wing back almost like oh, really? it sounds awful to say i well, hate Pavard, oh, I because Pavard can shift out there as well can't he so there are options yeah and also saliba can play in the middle as well so you could do you can yeah and and now that they've sort of like stumbled across jonathan klaus um maybe the right wing back slot is starting to clear up a little bit it has been a bit of a problem for them but yeah I, I just feel like there's probably room for all of these players and deschamps will probably stack his squad defensively rather than offensively um, because it's because it's Didier Deschamps yeah no I think he will be there I agree I don't yeah. think he'll start but I'm pretty sure he will be there um, okay let's go from north to west London and Darius has his customary Chelsea question he says Hi, Darius. do you think Tuchel instructed Gallagher to get that red card so the team <laughs> got a much needed morale boosting win or are Chelsea players just in a competition to see who can get the dumbest red card possible? That's back-to-back weeks where a Chelsea player has been sent off for completely avoidable conduct. What's going on? Also, do these last two starts by Gallagher show that he's not Chelsea level or is he just being used improperly? Um, there was another one from Charlie Barton who said, how significant do you think that win with only 10 men was for Chelsea? I feel like Chelsea regularly lack that mental toughness to overcome adversity. So seeing them pull out the win was great. Um, too- totally agree with Charlie there. Totally agree with Charlie. Um, it's so often we see something go wrong for Chelsea and it just it just spirals, yeah. doesn't it? It just goes wrong. It goes wrong and then it goes even more wrong and it becomes a disaster. It happens way too often. It's nice to see Chelsea rebound a little bit from a setback and actually react the right way. You know, we, we're not, we're still only a week off from that Leeds result where one thing went wrong and then another thing went wrong and it just became a cascading spiral and a bit of an avalanche. So well done to them for sort of stepping forward. Helps that you're against Leicester, the team with the least confidence in the English football pyramid. But They um, were dreadful. Yeah. Like absolutely and utterly dreadful in pretty much all aspects of this game. I don't know what what is going why well, i do know that they're, they're about eight players short but like on the whole you're looking at this, this number keeps like, going up every time going yeah yeah we're, we're 14 Five, players short of leicester they need to do a nottingham forest in the last four days of the season otherwise they're they in trouble um but yeah it does help that it was it was leicester but equally chelsea still had to win this game yeah absolutely and they did and well done and good to see good to see raheem get his goal has been coming, hasn't it? Has been coming. He's been yeah. coming, and he's been really unlucky the last couple of weeks. We backed him a bit when others haven't, so yeah. I, uh, uh, you know, it's coming. Like he's getting all the right positions, all the right motions, and you know he's getting goals disallowed. You know, so it was, you know, it was coming. But well done to him. Um, look, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm swimming against the tide on, on Conor Gallagher. Um, a lot, of, a lot of people questioning whether or not he's Chelsea quality. I think he is. A lot of people, including Dean, actually talking about. Um, you know, whether or not he's being used in the right position. Um, I think he's fine. I, I, I don't think he's being used improperly. I don't th- I don't think he's lacking the quality. It's just my honest analysis is really just, it's just not quite going for him right now. Like he's 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 having to settle into this team. He got an injury in preseason. It's been tough to assimilate. He has to step into Kante's shoes. Really tough task. And unfortunately, it's not quite going for him right now. I don't it's not any more nuanced or any more technical than that. 
I'm still convinced that he's he's fine for the team and he can play in the in the midfield too. Um, it, but it, it just has to get better and it will. Chelsea trying to assure him to, like, to stay and not, not look to leave because ultimately, like if he's going to get probably 30 appearances this season for Chelsea, like over the course of the campaign, at least that really, um, for the sub or starts. And I think their argument to him is like, well, you go out, say you go on loan to Everton or you go to even West Ham, like how many more games are you going to actually play than you're going to play here where you actually want to be the player? So I think that that's the, the conundrum for him at the moment too, is kind of like he needs to make the place his home. He's been there for so long, but not actually been there. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, this is a really annoying moment for him, obviously, and I'm sure he's kicking himself. He looks yeah. pretty distressed. Well, he should yeah. look pretty distressed because this was proper stupid. Yeah, well, like, it's not, this isn't a, oh, okay, he's a bit unlucky there. He, he makes a foul, you know, the first foul and, and you're watching the watching it back and he kind of almost goes, yeah, fair enough, that's a yellow card. And then the second one, he, he, he sort of trips the player and you're like, what are you doing? Like, obviously, like, at the moment he does it, he's like, oh, God, I'm really... He forgot he was on a yellow, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly you're like, are, are you sure? But that early in a game... In a you know in a, in a positions where okay the second one's a little bit more dangerous but it you just don't really need to make that challenge and I was ah yeah. it's really petulant and 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 this is it after a bad week last week at Leeds there's a lot of people writing him off now I agree with you Sam I, don't, I think he's quali- Chelsea quality I, I disagree with you slightly in that I think you've got if you're gonna play Gallagher in here and make him feel comfortable he's almost certainly got to be in a midfield three but we. <laughs> It doesn't look like Tuchel's going to make that switch. And if he didn't make it this weekend with the amount of, you know, uh, injuries and, and suspensions that he had in this back line to change things around, I don't think he's going to change it. And so there's been a lot of talk about Chelsea going to a four. And they did, obviously, when once he got sent off. Um, but that point where you're, you're looking at it and going, wait, where are you going? What are you doing here? It, it just feels like he's he's a little bit caught between the rock and the hard place. And it, it's coming off in a way where he looks frustrated and then he's doing dumb things and in the last two games and, and and you know sadly that's kind of where it's at right now it will get better for him it's a patience job this one 100 percent yeah no okay fair enough fair enough um let's go to united uh mark wilson says after back-to-back wins this week ten Hag seems to be stamping his approval on the team dropping Maguire and ronaldo and stating just because he's captain doesn't mean he's guaranteed to start every game shows he's not afraid to make big decisions unlike ollie uh the Varane and martinez partnership seems to have that cat dog i think this was the phrase characteristic that sam thought Maguire and Varane would have last year the signing of Casemiro and now Anthony, is it enough to overtake a stuttering Chelsea or one of Arsenal or Spurs? Sorry for the long post. Uh, <laughs> it's not a long post. Have you seen Darius? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to dig into with United. This wasn't the greatest performance, but they got it done. Yeah, they're sort of like grinding through it, aren't they? Just like the others. Um, wins a win. Points are points at this stage for Man United. I mean, they were, in, they were, they came out the right side of a very even duel with Southampton who are in like the bottom six clubs in the Premier League. So we're not getting too carried away just yet, but I see players genuinely fighting um, for this team, fighting for each other, which I did, I did not see under Ralph Rangnick. Um, I see a good central defensive partnership, as Mark says, that seems to complement each other really, really well. Um, I can see some of the attacking moves starting to come together and that's a, that's a huge positive. Losing Anthony Martial to another injury on the eve of this one could have completely derailed this team in the same way it did against Brighton and Brentford, but they didn't let that happen. 
um, and they managed to they managed to scrape through it and find an answer in a way they didn't before. So there are lots of little positive signs here. It's a cracking goal as well. It is a lovely goal. Oh my god, like the move is great. Um, Dalot picking out Bruno. Bruno completely unmarked because there's just no defender on earth is expecting that cross to go to that point. And the way he makes that finish look so easy is, is genuinely delightful. I think on first viewing, I thought Bazuna had messed it up. Um, and then yeah. it just wasn't, it wasn't that at all. He just, he just, it was. You should know right, better, Sam. Because right Bazunu doesn't, doesn't mess up. He doesn't mess up. No, my mistake. Really, really good. And Lissandro and, and Varane were, were really excellent. That's, I guess that's the focus. That's the focal point here. Um, Malassia had a much tougher time against Southampton than he did against Liverpool, oddly enough. Again, speaks to how weird the Premier League has been so far this season. But yeah, I mean, just lots of little signs that I'm impressed by. Um, and Ten Hag is kind of standing strong. Although he's actually, he's had to make a lot of compromises so far, hasn't he? So I give him credit for that as well, because he is adapting and he is shifting. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, it's, it's been a much better week for United, Dean. And, and, and that's basically what you have to, you have to claw these things back step by step. And it was another step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, uh, the first half, I think he would have been disappointed with. They, they, la- they lacked everything that they had in that Liverpool game. And I guess part of that is that it was Southampton and not Liverpool. And it's hard to lift yourself in the same way. Like, shouldn't be a thing, but it always is. Um, yeah, also just like the, the difference in possession, you know. and the, yeah. It's a different game, isn't it's it? Totally different game. and um, But they, they did get the job done. It's been a big week for them, you know. They've... They've signed Casemiro. They've they've got back to back wins. Um, they've got Anthony coming through the door. Ten Hag now has mainly all the pieces that he wanted. Like they might not have been the exact the exact players he wanted, but he's got a proper DM. He's got another forward in those positions that can actually play how he wants people to play off of the flank and what they offer and the fluidity of play that they'll offer. And then he's got Ericsson in there for class. He's got a better left back now in Malaysia. He'll have a new backup goalkeeper soon coming into Bravka. And he's got this Andrew Martinez in terms of a, a top quality centre half. So like you look at those six signings, whatever it is, um, and compare them with six, say that they lost at the end of the last season who were on their way out. And the United team is finally better. Like we are, we are now looking at a team that is stronger than they were at the end of last season. Um, they'll still look to get, I think at least one more in um, before the window shuts. I think they'll look at a right back. And I think that they're also looking at another forward. So if they got both of those in as well, then I think Ten Hag can be optimistic and he should be, thankful at least that he's got most of the like general upgrades that he needs, even if they weren't necessarily the exact players that he wanted. And they've obviously overpaying a bit for Anthony here. There's, there's not much doubt about that. I think a hundred million euros is probably a great um, reflection of the player he is in this moment, but um, tough because you, you know, when you go so publicly about your business and you're in such a mess, this is, this is what you end up paying. Yeah, I was just to, just to point out here as well, guys. It can be very easy for us to forget just how low Man United were at the end of last season. Like just just how just in what what a poor state they're in in terms of confidence, in terms of happiness, in terms of morale. They were at the lowest ebb for for quite some time until poor last week, finish. probably. Yeah, <laughs> until the opening day of the season. Um, but where Rangnick left this team was was in the bottom of a pit. And they've had to climb out of that pit like very, very steadily. And each sort of preseason performance and good attacking rotation with Martial at the heart of it and Rashford and, and Sancho, like each one of those moments kind of was one more hand up the pit wall. And uh, like it's just because because it's Man United, 
we judge them harshly because of their budget, because of their history, because of their prestige. Sometimes I have to check myself and remember that this is not this is not the Man United that we all remember. This is a team that's very, very carefully trying to claw its way out of a hole. And actually, you have to appreciate the good moments and the and the positive signs where they where they appear. So, you know, when you get a good player in like Casemiro, huge, huge win, huge win for Manchester United. Um, you know, Rafael Varane and Lissandra Martinez starting to starting to provide balance and, and partnership. Massive win. Like you cling on to those if you're a United fan right now, because it's been dreadful in 2022. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, there's been some interesting kind of questions regarding Anthony as well. And, and I thought it was one from one, one here from, from Sam Dodson, who said, from a pure value for money perspective, Gakpo for 30, 40 million he would have cost. Is that better than Anthony for 100 million? Sam seems to think so. So I love Anthony as a player, but I feel like this type of money is never conducive to a good transfer, but there was a nice kind of uh, riposte, if you will, from Theodore on here. He said, for discussion's sake, I wanted to give a, a devil's advocate defense of the Anthony transfer. He said, there are maybe circa 10 wingers, wide forwards under 25 who are regarded as better than Anthony. Say Mbappe, Vinicius, Foden, Liao, Diaby, Saka, Chiesa, Musiala, Ansu, Nkunku. It's very plausible that none of these players would want to go to Manchester United and some far north of 100 million. The fee is mental, but I don't think it's out of the question that he actually is the best winger that Manchester United could get. Going cheaper if you don't actually rate the player seems like a waste of money. We don't need another Dan James. If that's the case, does it justify the spend? Yes, they could wait and not spend, but if they don't make the Champions League, it will only get harder to attract talent without overpaying. Nice. nice. That's a nice way to look at it. It's a very blue sky way of looking at it. Um, very, very nice. I mean, I, I don't have a list of wingers to hand to see if that's true, but he's probably about right. I mean, Anthony is one of the best young young wingers in the game. Um, we're not really doubting that he's excellent. We're, what we're, we're, we hate the fee because it's about 33% over what it could possibly should be. And we've done a podcast already on the 100 million euro signings and how few of them actually succeed. And if we're like you know, quietly a bit concerned that someone like Aurelian Shuameni can't live up to it, even when he gets to go and play with Kroos and Modric, then what do we think of Anthony walking into this team um, at this late stage? Yeah, with with all of these, I mean, it's just, it's just not nice to watch a player get put under this scrutiny and to, to make it all worse as well. Anthony has like done an interview with Fabrizio Romano, which is basically a let me leave it piles pressure on the whole situation and it does make for a, make it slightly uncomfortable. He might be the best winger you can buy. He genuinely might be, but like you still have to spend your money wisely. Yeah. And if, and if Hakpo was available for 30 to 40 million, I mean, it's a different, completely different style of profile, player, isn't it? right? Yeah. But, yeah. but, I mean, this is it. How does it all fit in? How does it work? Because Sancho has been playing out there. He's been doing really well. I suppose Sancho can play on the other side, but I think his best works mostly come at right wing. Um, at least it did at Dortmund. Then you go, okay, someone goes to the middle. Does that mean Rashford goes into the middle to, to be the nine? Where does that leave Martial if he actually ever gets fully fit? There's just a lot. And I know we talk about depth and we shouldn't criticise depth because depth is important and good. But if you've got a couple of big players and, and Sancho and, and Anthony here, both on massive fees, right? Who came in with big, big price tags. And it's like we said earlier about Pedro Neto, you come in at that kind of fee, you expect to be a starting key piece. So where does that leave everyone else? 
Yeah. I don't think that Man United are crying out for a left winger. Um, and that's where I think essentially that's where I'd put Cody Hakpo in terms of his position in this team. I don't think I'd put him as the nine. I wouldn't put him on the right. I'd put him on the left. And I don't think they need that player. They do need the, the left foot in this team. There's there's very little in terms of left foot in this attack in this attacking rotation. And I know Sancho can be quite two footed, but everybody else, everybody else uses the right foot. Um, so it's a nice it's a nice thing to have, and it's it's important. And I think Eric Haag realizes that. So Anthony is the right, kind of the right player, I guess. But it's just yeah. I mean, like with a lot of clubs, you just end up lamenting the fact that they've left it this late, and it's ended up costing them this much money. Mm, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, off to Spurs, uh, where Pete says, "So as a Spurs fan, I'm finding it really difficult to gauge where exactly we are as a team right now. We've been bossed against Chelsea, Wolves, and now Forest. Yet have picked up seven points from those three games. I know Conte likes to play counter-attacking football, to be wedded to this idea and constantly rocking at the back like a punch-drunk fighter cannot be good long-term for my health. <laughs> let know this team. Any suggestions on how to read Spurs at the moment? Uh, from a positive point of view, you've got to say they're not playing their best and they get they're getting points." And they're up the right end of the league table at this stage of the season when things, you know, are very fine margins could have gone the other way and, and they could be down the bottom half of the table. So I think that Spurs would be content with where they're at. They know that there's plenty of room for improvement. They're, they signed six players at the start of the summer. Um, they're signing at least one more, I think, before deadline. And, you know, taking time for it to all totally come together. But I, th- I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I think... You know, there's probably a couple of times when they've been concerned about the Forest game, but ultimately, Hurricane could have ended the match with a hat trick. So, it's not going that wrong if that if that's happening. Yeah, they're not playing well. They are getting results. I, I've watched yesterday's game and felt like they were almost constantly under siege and constantly under pressure from a Nottingham Forest team, which have just been promoted. Okay, they've signed four billion players, but you know, it's a team that you'd expect Tottenham to have the better of, um, and yet you look at the XG map and you look at the shots and stuff and, and Forrest are coming in, I think under, under 0.5 XG, like while it did feel like Spurs were under a lot of pressure, Forrest created very little in the way of an actual clear opening. Um, so that's kind of like a bend, but don't break philosophy, which Conte is relatively famous for. So it all kind of checks out. It all feels like it makes sense, but I would, I would definitely like to see a little bit more on the ball. I don't know if the early goal in the game state just played a massive part in how Tottenham addressed the rest of the game. Um, but Son doesn't look quite right. No, he doesn't. And it's probably the reason why they're not firing on all cylinders because he is such an important player for them. Yeah. I mean, what I would say to the Kulazewski gave an interview on Sky and he said, um, Conte tells me, uh, you're not here to enjoy it. You're not here to have fun. You're here to win. He said, I've never had anyone in my life talk to me like this. And I'm really, really grateful for it because he's taking me to a new level. I think we do have to remember this. Conte is here to win football matches. He does not care how they're doing it. He really doesn't. Like he'll try and do it in a a better way than we've probably we've seen so far. But ultimately he'll be looking at the the league table, look at the forest result, be like, got what I wanted out of it. And that's what we have to remember throughout this season. Conte is absolutely determined that he's going to win something with this team. And so performance style, that all comes second to that. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, in performance, you have to wrap in that like, it it really did feel watching it that they were under a severe amount of pressure and that they could concede at any time. But then you look back at it and you look at the cold, hard data and you're like, well, actually they, they weren't really, 
they, they they gave up a lot of the ball. They gave up a lot of territory, but they stacked they stacked the defensive wall, and they didn't really like look like they were going to concede an actual chance. Lorries yeah. didn't do much, so it was kind of one of those deceiving games. And I am of the opinion that they do need to start playing better. Like this can't this can't just carry on going. Um, if you play like this all of the time, then you will end up dropping some points. But for now, it's okay. But I, yeah. I, I want to see more from Spurs. I do, and I want to see more from Son. Yes, I, I would completely, completely agree with those things. Don't worry, they're Fulham soon, so the he'll almost certainly just come to life in that game, and that'll that'll be me. So, <laughs> such is the way. Hat trick or something, like such is the way of the world. Let's depart from these shores and go to Spain, I think. Um, Martin says the Rafinha to Lewandowski combo is going to be mouthwatering this season. And Jorge said, what a debut from Kunde. Was solid defending and a threat moving forward. So Stegen's been very good these past three games. It's fun watching him regain his confidence. Lewandowski's second goal was absolutely on purpose, and I stand by that. Are Barcelona now clicking in an actual threat in Europe, or they still need some pieces to compete? Also, with lots of Barcelona players starting off the season very well, Eric, Stegen, Balde, etc. Beside the big guns, which players do you think will have a redemption season? It's a... It was very impressive from Barcelona yesterday. I would add that I don't think they can have any more pieces. Surely, surely this is enough pieces. They haven't got any more levers left, do they? Well, we shall see. We shall see. Levers come out of nowhere these days, mate. It's like transfers. Well, the latest one was not just a lever. It's a, what was it? A personal guarantee from a board member. Mm, we're, uh, we're all sort Where of- are we now? Jesus. Um, I missed this one, mate. So I'm relying on you to tell me. And I, what I really want you to tell me is, was it, tell me it was less chaotic than the Real Sociedad performance. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was nowhere near as, uh, as worrying. It was, it was, it was relatively composed to be perfectly honest with you. Barcelona were, were in control uh, in this one. And Lewandowski scored a double nutmeg back heel. And and that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you uh, how you announced yourself to a crowd. Cool. I think, um, yeah, Barcelona very good, very very good. Um, impressed by by this performance. Obviously, take it the pinch of salt. I suppose the kind of general question here is is about are Barcelona going to be an actual threat in Europe? Because actually, it's been big games where they've tended to turn up over the last sort of six months or so. We obviously saw that that four nil. Uh, against Real Madrid, um, another four here in, in a far less uh, you know salubrious fixture, if you will. Um, but it it does feel like w- when they get going, they're very very difficult to stop. And with the amount of talent they have in these ranks, I think they will be a threat in Europe. Yeah, I do. I, I think this is. I, I don't know if they're going to go and win it, but I think that they are. They are much better placed than they were at the back end of last season, right? You know, it's hard I to disagree with that. To someone who covers them, though, and he he was just like. They might, he said, but that's not really the aim for this season. Like they're not looking, they're not expecting to win the Champions League. Obviously, they, they'll they'll do as best they can, but their their aim is to make their mark back on La Liga and like absolutely like not just be in that title. They obviously want to win the title, like take that off of Madrid again and make remind them that they're not having everything their own way here, and then Europe will become the back of it. So. I, and I understand that, like you got, you can't run before you can walk. And this team have, has undergone such an overhaul of, you know, the backroom to the playing style to the board members to the the players on the pitch, the transfers, the, like everything has just undergone this huge, huge overhaul in the past eight months. That 
they can't really expect to win the Champions League right now because there are other teams that are just better established as a team right now and, and they'll probably come undone. So yeah, like in the group stages, hopefully they'll have some fun and produce some great performances. And then once you get to the knockouts, who knows, to be honest, and I, and I totally see why they would just focus on, you know, building on performances like this in La Liga, like the games like this, 4-0, like looks right in the middle, but it's really important for a team that's just getting to know each other. Yeah, looks to me like, um, you know, in signing Kunde and, and then adding in, you know, Araujo as well, at least they've got that sort of tall right back that can withstand the Mitro back post header for next year's Champions League run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll be able to they'll be able to play. Well, I think it's going to be a conference league uh, qualifier by all accounts. We, never, <laughs> we, don't, we don't know how you'll go. But yeah, no, 100 percent. It's been it's been impressive. It was really it was really complete. This performance from Barcelona. They, they they dropped off a little bit towards the end. There was a couple of opportunities at 3-0, you know, where where Vidoid got back, he got into the Barcelona box and, and made things happen. And, and Xavi complained about it a little bit after the game. He was like, we we kind of switched off a bit and then we got the fourth in, in added time. Um but ultimately it was, you know, one of those that, that it felt very complete from Barcelona. And look, it's a game against a newly promoted side. They should be winning comfortably. And they did so. Um, but it, it has been it has been tricky at times. So you look at this and think, okay, that's uh, that's about as good as you can ask for from from a performance and very comfortable. Whereas Real Madrid were oh, a little bit um yeah, a bit nervy to be honest. 88th minute winner um from, from Benzema. And then it was it was a little bit uncomfortable because Espanol were very, very good. Um but yeah, on the on the whole, uh, a good weekend for Barcelona. Um let's go to Tommy who says Cavani to Valencia or Real Sociedad. Which do you think is the best option for him? Uh, stick him in a side with David Silva, let's vibe. Mm, yeah, I mean the option is always not Gennaro Gattuso's team. He, he would love Cavani though, wouldn't he? Like a proper fire, a proper little scrapper to go to go up top. It'd be, it'd be, it would be good for. I mean, he is he is going to Valencia, so unfortunately, he's taking the wrong choice. Um, um, but I would have liked him at Real Sociedad. It would have been nice, and and a, and a very uh, you know, in a, in a week where they've lost Alexander Isak, obviously, uh, would have been a, a a little bit of a tonic to those wounds, I imagine. Yeah, it would have been nice, but yeah. I mean, look, Cavani's going to Valencia and Maxi Gomez is being shipped out to Fenerbahce as a result. All change up front for for Valencia. Yeah, it would, be, it would, have, it would have been nice to see. Nice to see, but uh, it's good to see him back playing and, and, and black kicking around again. Surprised he... it's taken him this long to find a nice a nice spot. Yeah, well, maybe he was just weighing up his options, um, you know, just saying what, what was on the table. And now he's just going to be, you know, kicking around on the Valencian coast. So I'm I was genuinely... I was genuinely thinking, could he go to Southampton on like the last day or something? Like, could they put their hat in the ring for him? But I think he has certain standards, Cavani. Um, yes, indeed. Indeed. Um, Martin says, can we please get a shout out for that violin solo before the Real Betis match? Oh. So good. So good. The hymn, the hymn that goes on at the Via Marine, um, just absolutely glorious. And the violin solo, just sensational. Brilliant. Brilliant. No wonder Betis won. No wonder Betis were top of the league for most of the weekend. If you have a violin so like that, we might never lose a game again. So um, we'll, we'll see how we go. Um, right. Lucas says, in a question I wrote about Celta, which was ignored, looking at you, Jack, I mentioned how Iago Aspas, or Claspas, as, as, as Lucas says, had scored in every preseason match leading up to this La Liga campaign, including five in one game. He's now scored three in three, and he's on track to win a record fifth Sada trophy. It makes me emotional 
traditional to think about the day Baddy is no longer around to bless us with his graceful football. Celta played well in an evenly matched contest against Hirona, who I like. They'll definitely stay up. And I'm confident now that the squad will avoid getting pulled into a relegation battle because we are nowhere near as dreadful as spoiled Elche or the worst Cadiz trademark pending um, but what I want to ask is what more will Aspas need to do to get into this Spain side he's in great shape and form but Lucho has been unable to put his pride aside to call up arguably his best forward should I hold out hope that Barry will make the Qatar squad or is Enrique too stubborn to make the right decision will he go Sam so what's his opposition here is Morata and um, maybe Rodrigo yes. coming back into the Ferran. picture Gerard Moreno Ferran, Ferran. Yeah. Oh, it's tough, isn't it? Lucho does, he likes what he likes. Um, it's an expanded squad, you know, three extra players. You never know, he might nab that 26 spot. Yeah, I would like this a lot. I like Aspas loads, obviously. Um, but he he's in lovely form. Yeah, he just seems to, you know, he's a fine wine, isn't he? Getting better and better with age. Um, but it's it's interesting. His biggest problem is Rodrigo uh, at Leeds. And, he, and and the fact that he's come back to life, I think. Because I think Lucho, if, if memory serves, Lucho quite likes Rodrigo. Um, and that fourth spot, yeah. Yeah, I'd say it's Aspas as if it wasn't for this. So let's see if Rodrigo keeps it up. But there's a chance, Lucas, there's a chance. Yeah. Um, the other thing that Lucas says is the Julian Lepetegui sack train rolls on with his terrible face just stinking up Power Horse Stadium in Almeria. Um, Sevilla looks dreadful and they have Barcelona and City next. They have no forwards, an abundance of midfielders and no defenders. I'm almost certain he'll be sacked before September is over. The not-bald fraud stinks. Um, Jesus. Currently, Sevilla are, are absolutely, absolutely rank. Um, obviously, I'm absolutely loving it, but they are dreadful. They're absolutely dreadful. They, you know, this was a, a derby um, and they were crap against... No easy games at the Power Horse. There are no easy games at the Power Horse and Almeria were very, very good against Real Madrid um, and, and looked excellent, but... It wasn't just that. It wasn't them being excellent again. They were good, but they, they weren't as good as they were against Real Madrid. Sevilla were just like, I, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I, I do know what's going on. And, and Lucas has put it here. They Their squad is completely and utterly imbalanced. Um, but the the whole thing is just very uncomfortable um, for Sevilla right now. Well, we know what's going on. I mean, Alan, we had Alan on to preview La Liga and he was talking, he, he, he laid it all out for us. Um, and it's, it's proven to be spot on bad you know entering the season under a bit of a cloud would probably have made sense to part ways with Lopetegui in the summer couldn't do it probably couldn't afford to do it finances seriously stretched can't really make too many additions lost there and lost Kunde and Carlos you know it's not it's not exactly a recipe for success is it so um yeah they're doing really badly right now and, and the truth is I can't I can't necessarily see it get improving they do have two strikers Rafa Mir and Yusuf Enesiri are good players um, they're better than, you know, whatever the goal tally is that Sevilla have managed to come up with so far this season, one or two. That they, they are better than that. If a Campos can get back to his old levels, he's great. Although he got linked to Ajax last night, um, oh. so we'll have to see what happens in the wake of Anthony. But um, the, the, the the players are there. Like, uh, yeah, I think top four is, is is already gone though. Yeah, it feels if it very much feels that way, and having to fight on a couple of fronts as well with Europe is. Mm. going to be uncomfortable for them. So we'll see how that one pans out. Um, let's go to Italy, uh, where Michi Nikitschi says, kind of a strange weekend in Serie A. Still convinced by Roma, Juve and Napoli or more reluctant after the weekend? This Roma-Juve game was very interesting, I thought. 
It was good fun from minute one. Just is not, something we, not something we say very often about Juventus these days, to be honest. Yes, I really enjoyed, actually, in the Discord, um, a couple of people pointing out, actually it was Lucas, uh, the aforementioned famous Lucas, that, uh, that was, you, you predicted one all, Jack, in this mm-hmm. game initially. Yeah. And then Dean and I started talking about Dybala and narrative and asking you if you were sure and you changed your prediction and it and it was now wrong. That'd have been like your first points of the season. Yeah, and Lucas was Lucas was enjoying the fact that we basically baited you into into changing your mind and and, and scamming yourself out of three points. Me too. Yeah, very very funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the Vlavic ha, free kick. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. The Vlavic free kick is is a stunner. It yes. is a stunner. I love it. Oh my god, the trajectory and the way it clipped in off the bar. Yeah, nice. It's just possibly my favourite goal of the weekend. Um, and the shock factor of it all definitely plays into that. I just, I know he's a good ball striker like that, but Christ, I didn't expect that to go in like that. Yeah. I love Tammy though as well, like popping up and showing his instincts in, in such a big game. And like, this is the one thing I want to see from throughout this season. Like his start to Serie A has been, been great and he's really fitted well into that team. But to be coming up with goals like that, he's like predatory striker, isn't he, Tammy? And like, he's just such a good fit for this team. Um, so I was pleased, I was pleased for him too, to, to uh, make his mark, but um, yeah, definitely a better game than the one we we expected to see, which is always nice when we play things down and they surprise us. Roma well, I mean, much was... better second half. The, 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 there was a couple of tweaks at, at half time, and it felt like they they fought their way back into it because it was it was a bit of a one way traffic. I thought in the first half, um, obviously they had the second goal disallowed Juventus, but um, yeah, it, was it was that was good. as well. Jeez, yeah, yeah. Early. but good um, uh, good good from Mourinho to to work his way back into this one. I thought. Yeah, Roma were absolutely tragic for 45 minutes. They were they were useless. There was like a huge open space in midfield that Juventus were playing through. Um, I tweeted, somehow Roma are doing the impossible and they're losing a midfield battle to Juventus. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that, by the way, was because, well, Roma were, were, set, were set up quite poorly. I don't understand why the distances between the respective lines were so different and so big. Um, Dybala wasn't in the game. Tammy wasn't in the game at all. Miretti was running the show for Juventus. Fabio yeah, Miretti, brilliant. a brilliant performance from him. And you have to give him some credit there as well, rather than just saying that Roma were poor. I mean, he worked through those lines, the way a pass was on show. He's a great player. Um, but yeah, Roma kind of tightened things up a little bit in the second half. They changed They changed a little bit in terms of personnel, but just tightened the spaces between the lines and just, just tweaked a few things and just kind of clawed their way back and just had five minutes, five minutes where they were in Juventus's half and then you get a set piece and then, and then you know, that, then you get the opportunity to, to equalise like they did and Juventus's one goal lead was of course not safe. No one goal lead ever is. Um, yeah. And they ended up drawing one all. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, Napoli drew... With Fiorentina last night, uh, it was quite a good game actually. This, despite the fact that it ended nil nil, um, both chance, both sides had chances, both sides created a fair bit. Um, draw was probably a fair result, but yeah, I mean, this was a this was a relatively good game. I, I'm not I'm not worried about Napoli. Uh, I think that was a tough one to go to, you know, to to the Frankie and and put up a fight, and and they did. There was a couple of opportunities for Raspadori late on, um, a couple of good saves from from Gallini and. Yeah, I thought it was a fair result and and a, and, a, and a very good game from both sides. So, so that was nice. Obviously, the big big result in Serie A was um, was Inter losing to Lazio. Um, this was an interesting one and not not mm. kind of what we expected here. Um, but Lazio were very impressive, very very good. They were pretty good. Yeah, um, Inter were pretty bad as well. I was very surprised by this. 
Um, very surprised by this. I thought Inter were really soft defensively. It's not something I've really, uh, I've really attributed to them in the past. And um, I, I, it pains me to do it, guys, but I have to give Sergei Milinkovic-Savic some credit. <laughs> he played an absolutely wonderful pass for Felipe Anderson's uh, first goal, or the goal that, that, that put Lazio ahead. It was brilliant. Yeah, I hated it. Great, it was a great header as well. Really lovely yeah. delivery. Yeah, yeah. but so, all reversal that. This yeah. is the thing. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one because obviously then Inter, you know, responds. They get the equaliser, and you're going, okay, we've seen this before. You know, Inter can. You know, it's obviously chaos, and this is like mad melee in the box that Lautaro takes advantage of. Um, and it felt like Inter had the game under control, and then suddenly they just lost it again. And you're like, oh, w- what's happened here? Um, but yeah, Luis Alberto obviously did very, oh. very well. Um, very good. And then Pedro was that a deflection? Uh, it is, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna not give him. I'm gonna give him credit here. I think it was, I think it was excellent and, and very it was impressive. Such a good strike. Statement win though. Statement win because we were, we were concerned about Lazio and where they were gonna be. Um, but it, it's very interesting. I thought so. We, we'll see. Um, I think this one, you know, this doesn't. I look, look full credit to Lazio. Full credit to Sari. Full credit to that team for seeing out that game in a really calm manner. Substitutions were spot on. You know, bringing on guys like Marcos Antonio who can who can rework the ball and just just find another angle and just keep control of the ball and keep grinding that clock out. Like they did a really good job of seeing out the victory, which is much harder than we always pretend it is. Um, but I think what, what this it doesn't necessarily too much say too much to me about in uh, about Lazio. What it, what I can't do right now is pick a best team in Italy out of six. Yeah, yeah it yeah. feels unbelievably close between Milan. five or six. Milan. Well, Milan, Milan were good. Um, Milan Leal was good. Milan were good, yeah. Leal yeah. was good. Leal was excellent. And I thought Charles de Ketelara was, was yeah, brilliant was as well. CDK the, was so good. The the kind of link up between the two of them was was yeah. very nice to watch. I enjoyed myself watching watching Milan this weekend, which is nice, right? It's nice to... It's I hope nice. they can keep that combo for a while. I hope we don't see like any of Leal going soon. I want, I want a solid year of this. Definitely don't want anything. Don't want Chelsea triggering that hunt. 120 million released fee any any day soon he'd be very good there he's just a very very good player probably x-factor footballer isn't he Mm. um so interesting one interesting one right let's leave italy behind um and rattle across to the rest of the continent Uh, and koi says i'm wholeheartedly reserved to the fact that dortmund are just going to hurt me again this year i just don't understand how they can't get a team together Uh, they won obviously at the weekend uh, against Hertha berlin but it was it was nervy and, and a bit uncomfortable for I was going to say, did I miss a late equaliser or something? No, no, they won one nil, but it was just, it was all a bit ugh, to be perfectly honest with you. And that's the best way I can describe it. It just, it just feels like they're on the edge all the time uh, of of kind of just doing something dumb. Um, and and I, and I can completely understand why why the coin's coming from here. Like it's just one of those, even on a weekend where. Dortmund win and Bayern drop points. You're looking at it going, <laughs> not sure about this. Sorry, lads. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with any of it. Turns out Union Berlin are the second best team in Germany. Who knew? Who knew? Boys. The boys. The boys. Onion um, Berlin. Onion Berlin, yeah. Um, it was, yeah. Didn't they get absolutely, didn't they absolutely football manager the hell 
out of their out of Schalke. They They're, lost on XG and they won six yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I mean Schalke are just doing Schalke things again, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, uh, Union were, were very good. Um, well, they weren't very good. They were very clinical. Is is what happened. Um, they were, they, but there was it was an impressive performance nonetheless. Um, Bayern did drop points though, and, and Jill says should Jan Sommer be a permanent free agent bought by a week who uh, bought per week by whoever is playing Bayern next to make the Bundesliga more competitive. What a performance from him this weekend. Glad to stay in, see him staying at Gladbach. I don't mind it. I mean, look, we've we've had suggestions of Bayern starting every game one nil down. Why not have a floating goalkeeper who can keep them at bay? Um, it all seems it all seems to work. I think, yeah, I think it wasn't that long ago, actually, a couple of years ago, we did, I did a nonsense ranking on the BR Football Ranks days. Uh, we're talking about extra rules we could bring into football. And one of them was that you should be able to loan in Messi um, for a specific game, for one game if you need to. Oh, and yeah. It's the, you know, the, same, the same sentiment applies, I guess. You should be able to loan in Jan Sommer. Yeah. Because yeah. the guy is unreal. I mean, look, we've been, talking gladness. About, we've been talking about nice. We've been talking about Jan Sommer being one of the best goalkeepers in the world for, for a while now and making a record 19 saves in the Bundesliga against Bayern Munich to keep them at bay. May go some way to them um, recognizing that. Um, I'd just like to say to Manchester United, um, this is your solution. Uh, it this always was, has been. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's there's still time. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is the guy. This is the guy. He's so good. He's so good. He makes me so happy. I mean, Bayern looked a bit toothless uh, in, towards the end of this game, which is a weird one. They brought Delict on up front, um, which was a strange, slightly strange kind of turn of events. But we've seen it a couple of times this weekend. It happened in sport at Sporting as well. So, um, look, a lot what, Delict came on for Sporting? No, yeah, yeah. Delict, he's a voting <laughs> free agent. He plays for everyone. Yeah. Uh, it's his role in football. Who yeah, came yeah, on up front for Sporting? Sebi Coates. So, so Southampton put Lianco up front for the last five minutes. Yeah, there's a centre back up front. Football's best. Trying for a celeb up there at one point. Yeah, exactly. I think everyone was up front towards the last five <laughs> minutes of that one. Um, we we'll go to France. Martin says, "Hold up, how Jack, about that? hold up, Jack. We, before we go to France, um, I've just I got I received a message from Ben on Discord while we we're recording, and he said, please, 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 can I sneak my question in now? So it's a live question." It's a live. I want to take a live question. Okay. We don't do this very often. Never. We've literally never done this. this exactly. This is this is yeah. This is Ben Duncan. That'd be a good one. Snuck in at the back post to ask. I know his midfield position is predominantly a six, and his secondary role is a centre back. But can you explain to me the tactical discrepancies that are keeping Liverpool from going after Florian Grilich on a free to strengthen two areas? Florian Grilich uh, if could we, play if for we anyone. Could, if we're going to sneak in a question, it's going to have to be about Florian Grilich, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can you can answer your own question, my friend. It's not my own question. <laughs> I didn't just make up Ben Duncan to talk about Florian <laughs> I know what you're doing. You're sabotaging the pod by making up people to uh, to say that they can have questions. And so, you can talk, so you get to talk about Florian Grilich. I know what you're up to. I see you so he's off. So he's still a free agent, um, which is kind of mad. Um First of all, the fact that that's the case is is crazy. Um, I think it might be to do with some, something to do with his. He switched agencies over the summer, and actually, his went to his brother. Uh, his brother started representing him. His brother clearly did a very bad job of finding him a new club. Well, every, everyone's his, basically been like, "We don't want to deal with this man." Yeah, and so he's gone back to his old agency um, in order to find a club. I've seen all sorts of different rumors. Uh, recently, was Galatasaray, but he's still there. He's still there. He's still a free agent. Um, and in terms of why, why Liverpool wouldn't look at him? 
I mean, I guess he doesn't necessarily solve any of the, the issues that they have with number eights. Um, but I would, I would be pretty comfortable having him at the base of my midfield as Fabinho's uh, backup. Would you? Yes, 100%, especially given that Jordan Henderson has struggled there this year. I yeah. think that Grilich is a good option, but I don't yeah. think they will do that. I don't think he's quite the temperament either that, that Jurgen Klopp would be after, after what we've seen this summer um, and him walking away from deal after deal after deal. So um, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But um, yeah, I think I think he would be a good... He's going to be a great pickup for whoever picks him up. Um, and that's basically as, as far as it goes, really. He could almost certainly play for anyone. Granada? There you go. Get him in. Get him in the segunda. Is what people really. Is what the people want us to see. All right, I'm actually going to take us back to France now, um, where Martin said, how about the ex-Arsenal derby where Marseille only needed one half to beat Nice? Nice are in trouble, I'm telling you. I've been saying this from the top. Um, where Pepe, Sanchez, Ramsey and Guendouzi taking part in either side. Sanchez net the brace and uh, Tavares scored his third goal already this season. Uh, Marseille's top scorer, I'll have, I'll have you know. Will Marseille or Lons be able to put up a challenge for the title this season? Probably not. But um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's good to see Marseille working. Also, I like Tudor throwing in like random curveballs. Like last week, he was like, there's absolutely no way I would ever play Alexis Sanchez and Dimitri Payet together. They started as a front two. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it, it, this man is throwing curveball after curveball at the Marseille fans. And uh, and I, for one, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it, was a good, it was a good game. Um, he's uh, it, It's kind of, I think Andy Brassel said this on Twitter, it's kind of a, a drama in Marseille, but not the drama we're used to. It's a, it's a slightly <laughs> different type of drama um, at, at, at the Velodrome. So it's enjoyable. Marseille looked good, man. They look good. There's an incredible amount of Arsenal on this pitch, wasn't there? Yeah, ludicrous. Ludicrous. Um, what Tavares and Alexis and Guendouzi and Kolasinac and Nicola Pepe and Aaron Ramsey and Aaron Ramsey. What yeah. the hell? Like a testimonial. Yeah, 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 very much so. Very much felt that way. A testimonial for Nice's season quite soon because they are absolutely awful. They <laughs> scraped through in the Conference League qualifiers um, against Maccabi Tel Aviv, but they were crap for long mm. periods of it. And they, uh, you know, mm. Alexis Cloud Maurice bundled them out of a hole um, and that's that's how it all ended um, but yeah uh, one to keep an eye on there Nice are, are, are problems they're rubbish they're problems um, right Jose says after both Porto and Sporting had shocking defeats this weekend to newly promoted sides do you believe this is a sign of a more competitive balanced league in the near future also with Benfica playing far better than their direct opponents at this stage of the season as well as a more favourable schedule until the break when do you see this grace period ending Benfica look really good. They look really good. I think this is an aberration from Porto as opposed to... Uh, Dude, what happened? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it just all fell apart. It just looked like they were, you know, incapable. And Taremi missed a penalty and, add, you know, to, to kind of add insult to injury in, in so many ways. But credit to Rio Ab, they were excellent, right? They were, they were really good. Um, so they, they needed that. But it, it was a very... It was an aberration, I think, from Porto. We'll, uh, we'll we'll put it behind us, and I think it, things will be fine. But it just was, yeah, a little bit uncomfortable viewing. Uh, Benfica, very very good again, smart, tidy. Um, Sporting are in trouble, I think. I, I know they've had the the hardest start of any of the three, um, but they just looked a bit lost here, and they look a bit lost in terms of attacking options. And in a week where Ruben Amorim said that he basically didn't want Cristiano Ronaldo, I was looking at him going, oh, "What are you doing? Like what?" How, how on earth, with your team as blunt as they currently look, 
are you being like, nah, not for me, that guy scores loads of goals. He feels like Sam on a weekday. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> an interesting one. But Benfica very much in the ascendancy in Portugal uh, for now. Um, we'll see, obviously, once the once they run of slightly easier games. It's a bit arsenal in some ways, right? They, they, they have a really nice start to the season, but they're also playing really well and they feel like in, they're in good fettle. So um, is it a grace period or is it just the, the, the fixtures? I don't know yet. Um, but equally, wow. I think that both sides have been very, very impressed. And as of now, you look at them and go, I'm not I'm not writing you off of anything. Well, the difference of Benfica, of course, is that we've watched them play Champions League qualifiers um, against quite clearly, clearly good opposition. And we've seen them play extremely well, if not batter them. Yeah. You know, uh, absolutely handling Dynamo Kiev is is pretty impressive. Um, so, yes, they've had a nice soft schedule in the league, but there's a little bit more to go on for Benfica, which makes you feel a, a, a lot more secure in saying that they they are they are a force because they've had those games where they've had to, they've been able to test themselves against those better opponents and they've they've battered them. Yeah, they have. They have. They have indeed. Um, okay, okay. Let's rattle through our other section before we close this off. Um, start with Ed Jackson says, which part of the Champions League draw excites each of you the most? Dean? Well, um, well, I didn't watch the actual draw for starters. I, I never watch the draw anymore, if, if possible. Um, you missed I a corker, went, mate. Yaya Torre's performance was otherworldly. Mm, I can't handle it. It lasts way too long. And I prefer to just figure out roughly in my head what time it's likely to be over and then just go on social and just get all the groups in one thing and digest it myself. Um, so obviously the thing that jumped out was was Bayern, Barca and, and Inter in the same group. Like, that's fun. Um, all, all into that. Um, yeah, that was that was the main thing that, that I like. I also like um, that Chelsea play in AC Milan. I think that's a really nice, a really nice fixture that I'm excited. To look, I don't really, I don't tend to get excited about the English teams in, in the Champions League anymore. Chelsea having to go to San Siro feels like a bit of a throwback to me, and I, I like it a lot. Yeah, no, it's nice, nice. Anything jumped out for you, Sam? Yeah, Group A, um, Group A for atmosphere. Ajax, Liverpool, Napoli, Rangers. Mm home wins everywhere here just home wins yeah, um, yeah, yeah we talk about the power of ibrox and the power of anfield and the same can be said for the other two as well so um that's that's a really interesting one that is some of those are some of the hardest away days that you can ask for and they're all in the same group together which is kind of ridiculous um what else caught my eye was that tottenham got an incredible draw um it's not easy fun but like that it's not easy but if you're, if you're, given that they're not a top seed they didn't get they didn't get a first seed. They got Eintracht, Sporting, and Marseille. I mean, you can't really do better than that. I mean, you can swap Marseille out for like a Maccabi Hafer, but that's just getting really picky. But if you're not a top seed and you get given that, you are you are very lucky. Very, very lucky. The most, definitely the most balanced group, isn't it, of, of the four? Um yeah, so, yeah. With, and- with B, Porto Atletico, Leverkusen, yeah, Leverkusen Club Bruges is, is, is nicely balanced too for the most part. But D is probably the most balanced. Yeah, I mean, look, so. uh, look on early season evidence, Sporting are going to finish bottom of that group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but equally, I wouldn't be surprised if they topped it. So we're yeah. actually in a very <laughs> odd place with, with this right now. So yeah, nice, yeah. nice and balanced. B and D, I thought were were fun. Um, which takes us on to the next question. As Aaron said, how are you lads? I'm sure we have a decent amount of talking points after the Liverpool wins. I'll steer away from that. My question is, what are your main takeaways from the UEL and UECL group draws? Um, obviously, this is my field. So you take this one, take, mate. I'm going to take point here. Um, but. The Europa League draw is sensational, like absolutely sensational. The Conference League draw is less fun, 
But the, the the Europa League draw, there are three groups which are genuine, complete free-for-alls. Group D, Braga, Malmo, Union Berlin, Union Saint-Gilois. No idea who wins that one. Uh, group G, Olympiacos, Karabag, Freiburg, Nantes. Complete free-for-all. And Group H, uh, Red Star, Monaco, French for us, Trabzonspor. Again, you're looking at that going... Oh, that's interesting. Um, was it Arsenal and PSV, the two big guns in Group A? But Berto Glimt are going to cause problems. They always do. They have the artificial pitch in the in the Arctic Circle. No one's going to enjoy going there at all. And they're a really good side. Um, they were, to be honest, they were unlucky not to be in the Champions League. Um, they they threw away some big opportunities. I was a bit gutted for them, but um, I thought that was a a fun one. And then Group B has you know, Dynamo Kiev. Ren and Fenerbahce. It also has Larnaca, but you'd, you'd imagine all three of those sides would be looking at that, going, "Yep." win that group um which which makes for for good viewing i think so there's a lot of fun to be had and then obviously the, Roma the jack got, collins derby yeah, and then obviously roma got betis which is just great fun yeah. so we have to return to rome for that i think um but yeah and they got ludigarets as well which means yeah. we can use our, our pun good, yeah good result rasgrad um so that that's nice to see um and then yeah in in the in the conference league the jordan hang on they, hang on you missed one you missed one Feyenoord Feyenoord lost the final to Roma and now they get their cross city rivals Lazio oh, yeah, in yeah, yeah 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 I thought that was fun too um, yeah. and Group D in the conference league is quite tasty Partizan Cologne Nice and Slovakia I thought was was a, was a fun little one and also there's the Denit Pro redemption story back in Europe having folded after getting to the Europa League final like 10 years ago Um Nice. An interesting one. So yeah. they're back in the back in the group stage. It's nice. Um, and Fiorentina got hearts, which is nice. Um, so that was fun. I, I enjoyed some of enjoyed some of those draws. But yeah, the Europa League draw is is far superior. But yeah, no, it's it, it's all good. Right, let's wrap this up. Um, Zach says, Jack, what's your Nando's custom sauce recipe again? They sell Nando's sauces at Whole Foods next to me. I want to try the Prince Special. Uh, get the garlic medium and hot sauce, a bottle of the black extra hot sauce and some of the salad cream and then whip them all in together. Half, half on the two big sauces, a couple of drops of the hot sauce and then a good dollop of sal- uh, of the salad cream. Mix it all in together. That's the custom Nando sauce special. Um, Matthew that needs says, one entire plate and a spoon. Yeah, big mm. spoon, big spoon. Uh, Matthew says, please give an honourable mention to the most soul-destroying end to a football game. Linfield played Riga's on Thursday night as the final qualifier in the Conference League. After dominating the entire game, they scored in extra time, minutes away from being the first Northern Irish side ever to be in a European competition. Until the 119th minute, they're 1-0 up. Linfield, four versus one in an attack, but produced the most feeble effort straight down the keeper's gullet. Ball gets launched down the other end towards us in the cop to watch us concede an own goal and then lose on pens. Oh, the beautiful man. game. This was actually even worse than this because in the first leg, Linfield were 2-0 up in Riga um, oh. until the 88th minute and conceded twice. It, it really did feel like a, a, a painful one. So, yeah, um, not nice. Not nice at all to watch, but yeah, um, brutal. And, and very much how football is, isn't it? Really, wonderful. Also, RFS were dreadful. They were dreadful. How, how Linfield didn't score in normal time, I will never know. Um, and finally, one from Michael Bowman. He says, something for the narrative for things you love. Uh, Atletico Tucumán are top in the Argentine Primera by two points with 11 games to go. They've never won the top division in their 119-year history. Coming up against the heavyweights like Boca and River Plate, they have found themselves at the top. Would be great to see another good underdog story yeah really cool one we'll be keeping an eye on now this one's this one's this one's good they basically don't concede goals yeah like they just they just don't i mean they did i did i think they lost to boca last night unfortunately but they were one nil up and they ended up losing two one but 
their clean sheet record this season is absolutely absurd. And they've only conceded eight goals in total in 16 games. It's very, um, very Diego Simeone. Um, but their goalkeeper, Carlos Lamp, is uh, is keeping a lot of clean sheets. It's something that's definitely stuck out to me. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, be, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, 11 games to go. We'll, um, we'll be tracking this one. So thank you, Michael, for bringing that to our attention. Uh, and with that, I think we're going to call this a day. So all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Dean Jones, our transfer guru. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much, Sam Tyler Rancord. Thanks, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. We hope you enjoyed that one, Frank Squad, and that it gave you a taste of just what we do over every Monday on the Patreon feed. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. And as ever, if you fancy coming to join us, the link is in the description to this podcast or patreon.com forward slash Ranks FC. We'll be back on Wednesday for our main episode as ever. And that special Thursday episode is going to look back at the biggest deal of deadline day hope you have a wonderful week or take it easy peace